Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Amen. I love that song, Your Love Brings Me to My Knees. We want to invite you and welcome you as you're worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning together as a church family. If you, uh, I love the spirit of freedom uh, that we're experiencing in both of our services. They're unique, though, in style. And if you're worshiping on a Sunday morning and you want to raise your hand or you literally want to just bow in a prayer right there where you are at your seat, you can do that. We also welcome you to come forward if you ever want to come and pray here at the front. Uh, We want to give you that freedom and opportunity. But I love, love what God is doing in our hearts. Thank you for worshiping uh, with us. I want to welcome you back if you're part of the Bible Center family. It's good to have you back with us, but also want to invite those who are new to us. If this is your first time with us, I'm Pastor Matt. Would love to meet you after the service. I'll be out in the lobby hanging out. Would love to get to know you by name and see how we could help you plug in uh, here at Bible Center. So glad you've chosen to join us today. If you would open your Bible or your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 is where we'll begin in a moment. Uh, But it's good to be back with you. I've been out for the last two weeks. Uh, Typically, whenever I'm gone, I like to hear stories that, you know, things are kind of falling apart without you, Matt. And boy, we've really missed you, Matt. But, you know, we haven't missed a beat. And I love that. Actually, I really do love that. Pastor Mike's done a phenomenal job the last two Sundays. And uh, things are going well with our staff. But it is good to be back with you. I thought I would show you a few pictures from my trip to Israel. I was in Israel for 10 or 11 days. This is a group of us from the church combined with another church. Uh, You see a couple of our members there towards the front. But we're sitting on the southern steps of the temple where Jesus, from which Jesus taught and uh, on which Jesus stood. And we're having a worship service there one morning about like 9 or 9.30 in the morning. It was phenomenal. I loved that. I'll show you another picture here at the Dead Sea, showing some leg with uh, Terry Swanson, one of our one of our members. You actually do float in the Dead Sea. Maybe you've heard that rumor, but it is true. You can just literally lay back and float. If you can't swim, the Dead Sea is for you. And then I'll show you one more picture. It made me feel like I was in West Virginia. Uh, this was in the market of Jerusalem, and so I could tell some West Virginians had passed through there at some time or another. But I want to invite you to go back with us in two years, June 2022. Pastor Ted Tanzi and I are leading a group from our church. They're setting up the dates. We should know this week the exact dates. Most likely it'll be June 1st through the 10th, uh, 2022. We wanted to do it during a time when some of our students could go with their families. It is a life-changing trip. In many ways, I say uh, that, of course, the Bible is all we need for our Christian faith, but it's kind of like reading the Bible in black and white or color, Uh, being able to see where Jesus stood, be able to touch and feel the sights where he was, was life-changing. And so if you want to mark that on your calendar, we can take as many who want to go. Uh, The Israeli tour guides are absolutely phenomenal, and then we will uh, go as a church family. I'm going to say more about the trip at our member meeting. And so if that interests you at all or you want to hear more, I invite you back to our member meeting coming up next Sunday night. If you're a member, I hope you'll plan to be here anyway. Uh, But if this is your church home, even if you're not a member, you are welcome to that meeting. It'll be about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. It's a good way to stay up in the life of our church. And again, we'll tell you a little bit more about our trip to Israel uh, coming up. Today, we continue our series 
on spiritual friendship, snapshots of spiritual friendship. And we've been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse since last fall. We started in verse 1, chapter 1, and we saw in the first three chapters that God lays a foundation for spiritual friendship in the first half of the book of Ephesians. And now we're into the second half. In the second half, he gives us these snapshots. He says, this is what spiritual friendship looks like on the personal level. This is what it looks like when you're at work. Uh, But this morning, we're going to see what it looks like in the home with snapshots of a Christian home. Now, before we jump in, I want to encourage you with this. If, If you've never yet put your faith in Christ, it is impossible for you to have a Christian home, or at least to contribute to a Christian home. In order to have a Christian home, we must first have Christ in our hearts. And so maybe you're here today and you don't know what it's like yet to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the invitation today. The invitation isn't to join a church. It isn't to uh, just simply to attend or come to a meeting or even just to be baptized. The invitation is to Jesus We know that God created us. We also know that sin has broken us. It's broken all of us. If you've watched the news this week or read the news this week, you know that we're broken on the inside and we're all broken on the outside. Our world is broken. But Jesus came to save all of us. Jesus literally, I have said it a million times, Jesus died on the cross But whenever, having been in Israel and seeing one of maybe two places where Jesus physically and spiritually gave his life on the cross as the payment for our sins. And then the Bible says on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. When you stood or more like crawled into the empty tomb and you realize that he is not there, but he is arisen. And 40 days later, he ascends into heaven and he calls to you from the Holy Spirit and says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, I want you to have a Christian home, but the only way to do that is to have Christ in your heart. You don't need to wait to the end of the service. Uh, You can wait to the end of the service. At the end, we have a prayer room over on my right and your left. You can go over to the prayer room and talk with someone about what it means to commit your life to Christ. Uh, But you can right there in your seat, right now, make that decision. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. And that is the first step to having a Christian home. We have a baptism meeting coming up here in just a couple weeks, or about a week and a half. Uh, We're trying something new this spring. We've now done two baptism classes, and I'm having the time of my life. And so now we're going to do five in a row. If it works, if it's a, a blessing, why not do it? you know, 10 times more. Um, But we're going to do baptism classes starting a week and a half on Wednesday nights. If you've never yet been baptized, or maybe you're wondering about what it means to put your faith in Christ, come to the baptism class. We'd love to talk through that with you and help you take this first step of obedience in following Jesus. But thankfully, this morning, once we've put our faith in Christ, we can have a Christian home. God doesn't leave us alone on the journey, but he desires to equip us, to to guide us into a life of flourishing and wholeness. Over and over again in God's word, we we find that he, he tells us exactly the keys, the ways, the road to blessing. 
And so today we're going to look at what it looks like to have that blessing, that healthy, growing Christian home. Now, as I'm preaching, I know I'm speaking to a number of different types of people who are on different points in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe I'm speaking to probably many, and things are going really, really well at home. You've got a good relationship with your spouse. And so as I'm talking about speaking on the Christian home, you're, you're really not sure what the Lord has for you this morning. I want to encourage you just to ask God to show you one area in which you can grow. One way that you can love your spouse more. One way that you can love your children more. Uh, just one way that God wants you to grow. I've been married now, Sarah and I have been married 20 years this summer. On July 1st, we'll be married 20 years. And I, we constantly see areas in our marriage where we need to grow. So uh, that's the challenge to all of us. But maybe I'm speaking to somebody and things aren't going well at home. And when you found out, when you came in this morning and saw what I was preaching on, you almost got up and left. Because you're like, man, here we go. I'm going to feel guilty. He's going to give us this list of things to do. I know I don't measure up. My spouse definitely doesn't measure up. My children most definitely don't measure up. Here we go again, another message on the Christian home. If that's you, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. And I would ask you to ask the Lord to do a miracle in your home, in your family. We serve the God who raises the dead. We serve a God who can breathe new life into dying families. And so I would ask you to trust the Lord for a miracle, but also say, God, what can I do to help contribute more into a Jesus-centered home? I realize it takes two. It takes an entire home to function as a family unit, but what can you do? So that's my encouragement to you. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody and you've already been through that and things did not end well. It didn't end well. And so now as you're still trying to pick up the pieces of life, you too were discouraged when you saw this title because you thought, you know, like, I've totally messed up or my spouse has totally ruined this. Why in the world am I here? I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and I'm going to ask you to pray as I preach. Now, if you want to listen, that would be good too. But if you, you could pray in your heart while I speak to ask God to maybe rescue somebody else who, who's not quite there yet. And I have found in 18 years of pastoral ministry that sometimes the people who are the most supportive of this kind of a sermon are people who have seen things end badly. And so I'm glad you're here, and I pray the Lord encourages you and that you leave inspired in your faith. But I know I'm also speaking to a number of folks, and you're, maybe you're not married, or you're married and you have, don't have children, or maybe you're a single parent. There's all sorts of dynamics in the room today. And so I would ask you to, to help us contribute to make this a church that is supportive of families. We don't want to be a church only of families, exclusively, although we are a family together. But, but ask the Lord, God, help us to be a church. Help me, help you to, to support families, even if that's not where you currently find yourself. Some of you students, ask the Lord to give you a Christian home one day. And I pray that it is beneficial to us all. Now, there's two ways, before we jump in, two ways to look at this sermon. Really, two ways to look at this text. Here are the two ways. Here's the first way. The first way is to see this text as law. There are some, when they read the New Testament, they see the New Testament as law just like they see the Old Testament. Please do not make that mistake, all right? We are not under the law, Jesus says, but we are under what? We're under grace. Not under the law, but under grace. Here's a problem. 
If you read the New Testament like you read Old Testament law, which, by the way, has been fulfilled, null and void as far as the day-to-day life of the believer, if you live or if you read the New Testament that way, you're going to be uh, somewhat of what we call a legalist or a fundamentalist. You'll be, very, you'll, be, you'll be much more likely to take passages out of context or misapply them to your life. Here's what I mean by that. If you say that the Old Testament should be fo- or the New Testament should be followed and read just like the Old Testament, line up on line, what do you do with 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is very clear that women are to have head coverings when they come into the church house. There's no analogy. It's not, it's not mystical head coverings. It's literally coverings over your hair. So if you say that the New Testament should be read with law like the Old Testament, where are most of your head coverings? You see, the reason, now, I respect those who interpret it that way, but the reason we don't interpret it that way at Bible Center is because clearly in the text, this church in Corinth was in an area where if you did not have a head covering, you were considered to be a temple prostitute. It was a cultural thing in that particular moment in time. And so Paul says, look, you're in a city that if you don't wear a head covering, people think that you're something that you're not. So in that city, wear a head covering. So there are places in the Bible that do that. And so we want to be very, very careful about getting all up in arms and and being legalistic in ways even more legalistic than Jesus. But the text we're reading this morning is not one of those texts. What we're about to read is about Christians of all ages. God says this is important no matter where you live, no matter your culture. See it more as an invitation today. See this passage as an invitation. If you're a a husband, see it as an invitation to love your wife better. If you're a wife, see it as an invitation to love your husband better. If you're a child, see it as an invitation to honor your parents more. If you're a parent, see it as an invitation to try to point your kids to Jesus more. All of us have room to grow. So what does God want us to know? What's the big idea today? Number one, or mainly it's this. Harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. You can follow along in your outline and your bulletin or on the app. Harmony or unity is one of the primary themes in the book of Ephesians. We have unity or union with Christ, chapters 1 through 3. And now we see in chapters 4 through 6 that we have unity with one another. Think about the significance of this. Paul spends almost an entire chapter, most of chapter 5, part of chapter 6, telling us how to have unity at home. Why does he spend like one-sixth of this book on the home? Well, because the Apostle Paul knew that harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Have you ever met somebody at church who was hard to get along with? Have you? You ever met anybody at church that's hard to get along with? Now, now we don't have people like this here at Bible Center, but the church down the road, they have a lot of people that are hard to get along with, okay? So if you've ever gone to the church down the road, think about this. Nine times out of ten, when people are causing controversy and complaining and fighting and fussing in church, it's been my experience, and I know it's limited experience, but it's been my experience that nine times out of ten, there's fighting and fussing and disharmony in the home. Because hurting people hurt people. And so what we see on the surface at church of somebody causing problems and causing, usually they're doing the same thing at home. 
Because harmony in the church begins at harmony in the home. Think of the opposite, though. Think about people who are a blessing. I mean, people who are trying to create peace and bring people together and overlook one another's faults and, and help forgive and, and not be dogmatic, more dogmatic than Jesus. Think about that. People who are that way often, nine times out of ten, have harmony in their home. And so what I'm speaking on today is, is far more important than just what you do an hour, hour and a half in church. What I'm speaking on today is literally the root system that nourishes your entire life how you behave at work, how you behave at church, how you engage in the public. Harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Now, what can we do practically? What does God call us to do practically? Five things. Number one, everyone, this is for everyone, try to defer to the needs and wants of others before your own. Try to defer to the needs and wants of others before your own. We see that in verse 21. In verse 21, it's to everybody. He doesn't single out a group yet. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians is a book of one another's. He says in chapter 4 and verse 2, bear with one another. In chapter 4, verse 25, be members with one another. In chapter 4, verse 32, he says, be kind to one another. Verse 21 is kind of an umbrella verse. If you're more of a, a, an illustrative, a pictorial thinker, think of verse 21 like the umbrella under which the rest of the chapter falls. So he says, be submissive, have the attitude of submission towards one another. And then in a minute, he's going to tell us specifically how wives can do that, how husbands can do that, and how children could do that. We could phrase it this way. Submit to others according to the authority and order established by Christ. For you engineers, we've got a few engineers in here. We've got some grammarians in here. For those of you that like to see how it all fits together, chapter 5, verse 15 through 21 is all one sentence in the original. And so in chapter 5 and verse 15, he says, walk in wisdom, as Pastor Mike spoke on last Sunday, walk in wisdom, and then he gives like six ways that you can know you're walking in wisdom. One of those ways that you know you're walking in wisdom is if you're submissive, you're meek, you're humble to the people around you. One of the ways you can know that you're not walking in wisdom is that in every situation and in every context, it has to be your way or the highway. If we're a type of people where that in every situation, and I get there's leadership and there's, I get all that, but if in every context of life, nobody can ever disagree with you and nobody can ever have a different idea, God says, well, I don't know that that's walking in wisdom. That's the context here. Sometimes we have to submit our will and our desires for the good of others. Yesterday, I learned that the hard way. We had our first birthday party for a boy. Now, we have two girls, right? So their girls are 17 and 14. Birthday parties for girls are really, really easy. They've just really always been. I mean, whenever they were little, we throw out some princess dresses, and, and we throw out, like, you know, the We Just Dance or whatever. And now that they're bigger, I don't really don't know what they do. I usually just throw a bunch of chocolate upstairs, and they have a great time, all right? But... Boys, I think I just didn't plan on how the difference between boys and girls and birthday parties. So yesterday, Sarah puts me in charge of the, the games, of the fun, which, by the way, is hilarious. As you're getting to know me, you're going to know that that's really not my specialty, right? Like, I have to Google fun to have fun. Um, 
I've never shared this with us, and I, I share it reluctantly, but in seminary, my friends called me Fix-It Felix. I guess he was kind of like, uh, you know, anyway, I'm not even going to go there. But So I'm in charge of the games, and, and so I have all these games lined out, and, you know, girls kind of like strategy games and, you know, taking your time and solving puzzles and things. So I had all these games planned out, and this army of eight-year-old boys shows up. And, like, I was not, I'm honest, I was not expecting this. Like, the volume in that house was so loud. And I don't know how they were like doing laps in my house, where they're like doing laps in my house. And so I had this one game where we we're going to take like, you know, I had a whole bag of dart guns and I was going to take one dart gun and they were going to take their time and they were going to shoot the ender dragon. If you're a Minecraft fan, you know what I'm talking about. Shoot the ender dragon off of the edge of the table. And I figured that would take like 15 or 20 minutes. These boys, you know, really honing in that dart gun, not on your life. I was attacked and mugged from the rear. They grabbed the bag of dart guns and the fight was on, Okay. And so like for the first half hour, I'm trying to be like, no, let's round up the dark guns. You know, we've got this strategy game. And finally, I just finally gave up. And I realized to have a boy birthday party, all you need is this. You need a case of Red Bull and a bunch of BB guns and let them have it. They'll have a time of their life. Submission is a lot like that. It's, it's not always giving your kids what they want, but it's this attitude that, you know what? I don't always have to be right. And God says that's an evidence of the Spirit in our lives. Why can we do that? Verse 21 tells us why. Out of reverence for Christ. It says, Jesus is king, I don't have to be. Jesus is king, I don't have to be. And with that attitude, we can be much more uh, compatible and loving with the people around us. Next, number two, wives. What's the invitation to wives? Wives, lovingly follow your husband's leadership and look for ways to show him respect. Lovingly follow your husband's leadership and look for ways to show him respect. We see this in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do unto the Lord. Now here in verse 22, Paul gives us the first example of what mutual submission looks like for the wife. Husbands, let us not think that God lists wives first because they need it more than we need it. In the context, he gives us three comparisons, three lists of people, three lists of two. Wives and husbands. Um, hus- says wives and husbands. I got it written down here. I studied it all week. Children to parents and employees to employers. In every one of those instances, whoever's mentioned first doesn't have the primary burden. So the biggest burden is on the husbands to love their wives. The biggest burden is on the parents to raise their children. The biggest burden we'll see next week is on employers to love their employees. But while we're on the wives, what does it mean in verse 22 to submit to your husbands? What does it mean to lovingly submit to your husbands? I'll say what it doesn't mean. There's several things it doesn't mean. Submitting to your husband doesn't mean that God loves men more than women. That's not what it means. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 tells us that men and women were created equal in God's sight. God loves men and women the same. Number two, it doesn't mean that men have more access to God than women. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 tells us that all ethnicities, all races, both genders have equal access, equal availability to God. Number three, It doesn't mean that women are less important in the kingdom of God. 
That's a whole other sermon. We don't even have time to go there. But women are not less important in the kingdom of God. Number four, submitting to your husband does not mean that your husband somehow has more authority over your body than you have over his. If you're taking notes, you want to write 1 Corinthians 7, 4. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. That's for another sermon when kids aren't in the room. Number five, women submit in the same way that children obey their parents. I've heard that. Here in Appalachia, I've heard that. Women, you are to submit and obey your husbands in the same way that your children are supposed to obey you. That's not at all what the text says. God doesn't even use the same words for submit and obey. So that's not what he's saying. He's also not saying that all women must submit to all men. Pastor Mike covered this last week. I tell my daughters, they do not have to submit to all men. All men in the world are not over my daughters. They have the right, and they better say no, right? So right now, they're submissive to their father. One day, I want them to be under the love and protection of their husbands. So it's not all women to all men. And number seven, it's not wives must give unconditional obedience to their husbands. This is not unconditional obedience. You say, well, what is it? Notice what the text says. He says, Obey your parents. Later he's going to say, in the Lord. Submission, godly submission, is to what the Lord says is good and right and wholesome. So if your husband wants you to do something that God forbids, you, as the daughter of the king, have the right to say no. If your husband wants you to not do something that God says to do, you, as a daughter of the king, have the right to say no. That's why God is, is so intent to protect uh, women, children, even men from abusive situations. And so we've said what submission is not. Let me say what submission is. I'm going to give you the technical definition, and then I'm going to give you my wife's definition. Um, she's having a girls' weekend with our youngest daughter, and so I can give you her definition. I didn't tell her I was going to share it, but you can share it when she gets back. What is the technical definition of submission? It's the humble recognition of the divine order of the home. It's the humble recognition of the divine ordering of the home. Here's what we mean by divine ordering. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to their husbands in everything. So the picture in the... In a, Eternity past, when God was figuring out, to use human language, how the home would be organized, God said, okay, husband, you're going to play the role of Jesus, which is hilarious, right? If you're a husband, that's, if you're a wife, that's, that's hilarious, that's hilarious. But he says, wives, you're going to play the role of the church. And this thing called the family is going to be a walking illustration of the kingdom of God. Just like communion, when we take communion, it's a symbol of the kingdom of God. Just like baptism is a symbol of the kingdom of God, marriage is this beautiful illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in its flawed state. Now, Sarah says submission is this. She says submission is ducking so God can smack your husband. That's submission. 
Submission is ducking so God can smack you. First time we really, I remember experiencing this, we were married at age 20 and and early in our career, I, I knew that the Lord wanted me to be a senior pastor. And so trying to figure out where to go to school, where to go on staff, lots of different things. Everybody navigates a certain career path. I made a decision that she was dead set against. She was just dead set against it. I don't think you should do this. <clears throat> I think it's bad for your career. I think it's bad for our family. I don't even think you should do this. And I was like, yeah, well, I think this is why we should do it. You know, I'd listening to, usually, you know, you listen to your dude friends, and they're like, yeah, you should do this and this and this. And she's like, don't do it. Finally, I remember the place where I was where I played the submit card. Husbands, you ever played that card? I was like, look, the Bible says you got to submit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this decision. She's like, fine, make that decision. She didn't say another word. She didn't rub it in my face. But within one month of making that decision, I'm literally in my garage crying like a baby, and I don't cry very much, knowing I had made the wrong decision. So God says, women, love your husbands, but there is the attitude where God, you trust the Lord to lead them. Verse 33, verse 33 says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If you're taking notes, you might write verse 21 beside verse 33. The same word is used in both verses. Verse 21 says we reverence Christ. And in verse 33, it encourages wives. God invites wives to honor their husbands. Now, I know what I'm preaching this morning is totally out of culture, right? What I'm preaching is like from another planet, from what we hear most of the time on TV, on the internet. It's different, but it's Bible, And here's why I believe God says to honor your husbands. First of all, what is it a picture of? Do you honor your husband because he's Jesus? No. You honor your husband because it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the way the church is to honor and love Christ. That's the primary reason. But I can't help believe, when I get to heaven, I'll ask a lot of questions. I cannot believe that that God also knows how we men are wired, right? In my ministry, I have met a few women who thought it was their personal mission to somehow cure their husbands of ego, right? It's like their personal mission. Like my husband pastor has an ego and I'm going to fix it. I'm always like, good luck, good luck. It's not going to happen. God knows that we men respond in environments so much better when we're encouraged, when we're built up, not when we're torn down. And Proverbs says in Proverbs 14:1, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down. Do not be a woman who tears your house down. That is a foolish way to live. God says, be a woman who builds it up. You say, yeah, but my husband's not perfect. He knows. You know, Jesus knows. Harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Wives, I encourage you to ask your husbands, This week, ask your husbands, what is it that you do that helps him feel loved and honored? And what is it that you do that helps him not feel loved and honored? And just see what your husband says. I'm sure it'll be a growing experience for you both. Number three, now on to the husbands. Husbands, lovingly sacrifice for your wife like Jesus sacrificed for you And look for ways to care for her more. Look for ways to care for her more. Verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul now turns to the husband. Now, this was radical in the Greco-Roman world because there were lists of requirements for the wives in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. But the husbands had almost zero responsibility. In this particular day and age, almost 2,000 years ago, the husband could go out and carouse around and have several different women on the side, and it was considered to be customary. But God says, no, men, just as wives have responsibility to submit out of reverence to Christ, so do husbands have the responsibility to love like Christ. What does it look like? Verse 26, he tells us, begins to tell us what it looks like. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing with water through the word. To present her to himself as a radiant church. This is Jesus in the church. Without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish but holy and blameless. Verse 28, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. He gives us two standards here. The first standard is Jesus. He's like, husbands, I want you to love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Now, if you're like me, that really isn't helpful. I mean, it's helpful to like know that how big of a failure I am, but it's not really helpful beyond that. Like how in the world can I love my wife like Jesus loved the church? Well, we learn later in this passage that the Holy Spirit makes it possible. But thankfully, he gives me an illustration that I can relate with. Then in verse 28 and 29, he says, okay, not only love him like Jesus loved the church, at least love your wife like you love yourself. Now that I can relate to, right? Matt always makes sure Matt's taken care of, right? I always make sure that I have what I need. And most of the time I have what I want. And so what God is inviting us husbands to do is to love our wives in such a way that it's, it's not just that we're the center of the world and they revolve around us, but instead we put them in the center of our world and we serve them. Think about how radically different that is compared to what we see on Netflix, what we see in the news what we see in the world. But this is what Christ does in the new human called the Christian. Husbands, I encourage you this week to ask your wives this question. What do I do that makes you feel most loved? What do I do that makes you feel most loved? And then ask them, what do I do that makes you feel unloved? Now, guys, I'm going to warn you. If they answer truthfully, you're not going to like it. All right, but just a little bit of word of wisdom to a guy who's on the journey like you. Don't argue, right? It's not going to do you any good anyway, so don't argue. Just, just listen and absorb. Let them speak from their heart and watch what God does in your marriage. You might not need to talk for the rest of the night, and that's okay. Verse 31. I can't help but skip over this. Can't skip over this. Verse 31. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, 
but I'm talking about Christ in the church. The reason I can't skip over that verse is because it's crucial to the theme of Ephesians. Remember the theme of Ephesians? It's unity, our union with Christ and our union with one another. It makes sense that the best illustration of unity, a marriage, be found in a book on unity. It's a beautiful picture. We actually get to declare the gospel through our families. Harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Two more and we're done. Number four, a word to children. A word to children. Obey your parents while you're still dependent on their care and seek to honor them for the rest of your life. Obey your parents while they're still, you're still dependent on their care and seek to honor them for the rest of your life. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1-3. through three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. In this passage, Paul takes two Old Testament verses, Exodus chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and he puts them together into a special blessing. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that had this special promise of blessing. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. It's important to note that it isn't just to honor your father, but it's equally important for us to, for you as a child living at home or dependent on your parents, to honor your father, to obey your father, to honor your mother, to obey your mother. When our girls were little, whenever we were disciplining them, if they had done something wrong, my wife or I could discipline them the same. But if they disrespected their mother, uh, one of our mentors had taught us, I, I took the girls and said, look, you're going to get extra discipline for disrespecting my wife. That's my wife. You don't talk to my wife that way. And so there's this sense in which we instill in our children uh, to love and honor both the husband and the wife. If, if God has blessed you with, with a home with both, their special blessings are tied to obeying and honoring your parents. So that brings us to this question. What do you do or at what age is a child no longer supposed to obey his parents? At what age should a child no longer obey his parents? That's a question coming on our minds as we've got one about to go to college, right? I try to tell my girls the age is 45, whether they like it or not, but they don't, they don't listen. What is that age? I think the key to that is in, back in verse 31. Verse 31 ha holds the key. There's going to come a day when they will leave father and mother. After that, it's ambiguous. So God leaves it up to various cultures and families to determine what the definition of that is. The way I usually advise parents is this. As long as your children are dependent on your care, they are your children and they must obey. What comes into problem at times if you've got a 21-year-old that's mom and dad are paying their insurance, mom and dad are paying for their car, mom and dad are paying for their college, mom and dad are paying for the food in their belly, yet they say, mom and dad can't tell me what to do. I'm like, that's fine. No problem, buddy. Mom and dad don't have to tell you what to do. You go ahead and move your name out of their insurance, take care of your own car, take care of your own gas, take care of your own food, and the own roof over your... your then you can do whatever you want. But God says there's a certain respect that we owe our parents as long as we're dependent on their care. But what about those of us who have long been gone from our parents' care? Verse 2 says, honor thy father and thy mother. 
you don't have to obey your parents when you're on your own. There came a day where I didn't have to obey my dad. By the way, if you're a parent in here, the worst thing you can do is after your children have left home and truly left home and you guys have determined what that is, the worst thing you could do is still try to treat them like they're 12. You're especially, your married children do not have to obey what you say. That's hard to hear. It's going to be hard for me to hear one day. But no matter who you are, how old we are, we are called to honor our parents. Let's honor our, you say, but my parents aren't perfect. Nobody's parents are perfect except Jesus. Let's honor the people God's put into our life and trust that he knows best. Number five, a word to parents. A word to parents. He says in verse four, there's a word to fathers. We're going to say this is to parents. Don't frustrate your children, but look for ways to point them to Jesus. Don't frustrate your children, but look for ways to point them to Jesus. Notice verse four, right out of the text. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A Roman father was notorious for frustrating his children. I didn't know this until this week. Do you know that Roman fathers could sell their children as slaves? Roman fathers had the right to make their children work in the fields in chains. Roman fathers could punish their children however they wanted to punish their children, even to the point of the death penalty. And what God is saying here that the the gospel creates in our hearts, both in moms and dads, a new paradigm where instead of frustrating our children, we seek to love our children and point them to Jesus. I read this week that some believe it's possible that Paul had a domineering father or maybe a domineering mother. We don't know for sure. But either way, Paul understands kids can be They can be uh, frustrated with our leadership. I heard James Dobson say it this way. Say yes whenever we can and say no only when you have to. Say yes whenever you can. Say no whenever you, only when you have to. I've already mentioned this morning for dads or husbands to ask their wives how they can love them more. I've mentioned already for wives to ask their husbands how they can love them more. I want to leave you with this. Could I ask you parents and grandparents to ask your children how you can love them more? Maybe even if you ask this way, is there anything I'm doing to you that's frustrating the life out of you? Is there anything I'm doing to you that's frustrating you or making it hard to obey? Now, I'm not going to ask my eight-year-old that. I'm just not. Like, there's no Bible verse for that, but if I ask my eight-year-old, is there anything I'm doing to frustrate you? He's probably going to say, well, you don't give me like 10 desserts a day, okay? So it's not, but yesterday, I don't think she's in here, but yesterday, my oldest daughter and I were having a conversation, because you know, the sermon has to go through here before it goes through here, and I said, is there anything I'm doing to frustrate you? And this is what she said, being transparent. She said, Dad, she goes, you drive me crazy with your lack of understanding of time. I'm like, I wanted to say, you're 17. You don't even know what time is, you know? Uh, You can't even pay for the watch on your arm. I didn't say any of that. I wanted to. So she continued to talk. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, Dad, you will say, hey, you're going to be here in five minutes. I'll be there in five minutes. And it's like an hour. She's like, Dad, you've done that ever since I was little. 
It's like, you'll say, hey, I'm going to be there in a half an hour. And it's like two hours later, you show up. You have no concept of time. I don't think you're purposely lying. She said, dad, but it's just frustrating. Because when you say five minutes, I want it to be, you know, close to five minutes. And I was able to tell my daughter, I'm sorry. You're right. It wasn't like any major quote unquote sin, but it was a chance to show my children the gospel. Hey, daddy's broken. I never even thought about that. That's going to make daddy a better daddy and a better leader, a better husband. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It's that kind of questioning that draws families together. Instead of pretending like everything's okay, and instead we're drawn apart. Why would we do that? The answer is simple. Because harmony in the church begins with harmony in the home. Let's pursue it with all we've got. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters on the journey with me. And God, I pray that you would help us as husbands to love our wives, for wives to love their husbands. Father, I pray for you to help us with our children, for those that maybe aren't married and don't have kids, or those who are raising children alone, those who want to be married but haven't yet been led to do so, and, and those who know that they're not led to be married. God, I pray you would help us all to work together to be a church that protects the institution of the family and helps families raise children that follow Jesus for your glory, but also for the good of the next generation. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.